Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 60 edition, director Sarah Polly, cast members Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Judith Ivey, Sheila McCarthy, Michelle McLeod, Katie Hallett, and Liv McNeil, and producer Dee Dee Gardner discuss Women Talking, a spotlight selection of this year's festival with NYFF executive director Eugene Hernandez. Sarah Polly brings ferocious honesty and restrained urgency to her screen adaptation of Miriam Taves' acclaimed novel about a group of women from a remote religious community dealing with the aftermath of sexual assault perpetrated by the colony's men. A film of ideas brought to life by Polly's imaginative direction and a superb, fine-tuned ensemble cast, including Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Francis McDormand, Ben Wishaw, and Judith Ivey, Women Talking is a deep and searching exploration of self-determination, group responsibility, faith, and forgiveness, philosophically engaging and emotionally rich in equal measure. Women Talking is a United Artists release. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF taking place through October 16th in all five boroughs of NYC, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Sarah Polly and the cast of Women Talking. From my left all the way down, Dee Dee Gardner, Liv McNeil, Kate Hallett, Michelle McLeod, Sarah Polly, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Sheila McCarthy, and Judith Ivey. Welcome. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for sharing this beautiful film with us. I'm going to start with Sarah and Dee Dee, and I'm going to ask a couple questions to get us started, and we'll turn it over to, to those of you in the press and the audience in a few moments. Um, I understand that uh, Sarah and Didi, I understand that uh, Francis McDormand optioned the book upon which this film is based. So if you don't mind just taking us back to those early conversations um, with, with Fran, between the two of you, how this project originated, if you don't mind sort of laying the foundation for us. Sure. Um, hi, thank you for being here on a Monday morning. Um, Fran McDormand called and said, I have something I want to talk to you about and came and saw me and handed me this book, which I'd heard of, but I hadn't read yet. It was early in the book's incarnation. Uh, and I read it and was really stunned by it and drew a whole map of what I thought the colony looked like and where everyone lived in relation to one another. And it was almost like I could see it. And then we set about thinking, well, who should adapt this? And Sarah was the very first and frankly only name we had on our list. Um, and I'd wanted to work with Sarah for many years, but Sarah, <clears throat> as we know, is selective. And, um, and to our incredible sort of amazement, she had read the book also and had reached out to uh, Sarah and Fran share a manager and Frank Bradaroli. And she said, can you see, does someone have this book? And she learned, like the, I think the same day that we had it. So it, it felt uh, ordained in a way. Yeah, and I had, um, I had read the book and really fallen in love with it. And, you know, I, I was not thinking about what my next film would be as a director. And I just suddenly had this 
burning desire to make this into a film. And, um, and so, yeah, I reached out to Frank because uh, I had seen that Fran and Didi had had the rights and, and yeah, they had reached out within, I think the same day. Yeah. Well, let me ask each of you to elaborate on those are those initial instincts that you had that would ultimately bring you all together. Um, what was it about the book at the moment that you read it? And what was it that, that compelled you to want to bring this to the big screen? I mean, there are a lot of conscious reasons, which I think are probably less important and urgent than the unconscious reasons. So I think when, when you really want to make something, there's a certain amount of unpacking you want to do about something you don't understand. And that's why you seek to make it. Um, I was so drawn to the questions around um, faith and community and democracy and recovery, um, faith and forgiveness and and healing, and I I just I just thought it was such an unusual way of addressing and tackling so many things in a way that was organic to the thing itself, and it read to me as a kind of fable in which we could map on a lot of conversations that were actually too difficult for us to have in the particular moment when the book came out, if we were to put it at them in our own contemporary context or our own sort of secular lives. And so it allowed a way of asking the really sticky, difficult questions that I think have been really hard to ask. Um, I was very struck by the phrase at the beginning of the book or at the end of Miriam's statement that says, this is an act of wild female imagination. Mm -hmm. And I thought, First of all, regarding Sarah, I think stories we tell is one of the great sort of jujitsu expressions of imagination I'd ever seen. And I also, um, I found the book really cinematic or potentially cinematic. And I thought, oh, this is a conversation in which we see heart minds change. And if we can put imagination to that so that it finds cinematic expression, then that's the highest bar ever, but it would be a thrill to try. Mm -hmm. There was a statement that Fran McDormand shared in the, the notes that I was reading, and I want to invite Sarah to react to it. She said, what surprised me was how epic you saw the film, how epic Sarah saw the film. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this film deserved a large canvas. I feel like we've seen a lot of stories told about war and football, where it's the only thing that's happening on planet Earth, might even evolve a shot of like the planet <laughs> hanging in outer space to just convey it. it's literally the only thing is happening. It's a football game. And so in general, I kind of veer away from bombastic gestures in filmmaking, but I actually felt like I really wanted to challenge myself to not be too subtle and to not be subtle about the gravity and the meaning of, of a group of women sitting around talking about what their world should look like and how to change it and how to break the world they live in and make a new one. I thought that is, that is deserving of feeling like the only conversation in the world for moments at least, which, which must be broken because we're human. But um, for me, I just always saw it as, um, I did not want to be apologetic about how big and important this conversation was. Didi, a second ago, you used the word, Sarah Polly is selective. <laughs> uh, before we open it up to the rest of the group, I wanna invite you both to reflect on that statement for a, just a moment. What well, does that thank mean? God. I mean, <laughs> look, it's hard to make a movie. They take, time, they take years of your life 
Uh, in our cases, we're both mothers. We're trying to raise humans and <laughs> we have other things. And I think if you're gonna give this sort of commitment, and I think we knew this one would take sort of every fiber of our being and that we'd fight for it all along the way that, um, the be I mean, the best are selective, I, I hope. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I wanna feel like I can't not make a movie in order to make a movie. You know, I feel like there's a lot of movies and there's a lot of books and a lot of stories being told. And I think I wanna feel like I won't survive if I don't get to tell that story. Like I wanna feel that urgency around it. I think I also didn't have a lot of, I have three small kids. Um, I didn't have a lot of models of people who were able to be present with their kids. Um, and be filmmakers. I, I knew, um, you know, mostly male filmmakers who it, nobody cared if they disappeared for three or four months or six months, um, or maybe they did and they just didn't have a choice. Um, and so I didn't have a model of how to do that. And it was really important for me to stay present. And what was amazing was that Didi and Fran created this model for us where I did get to put my kids to bed almost every night and we work 10 hour days. And so a new model, you know, is in the process of being created with a bunch of female filmmakers now. And, and that's really exciting for people of all genders, I think, to not feel like you have to abandon all of your other obligations and duties, um, to be making a film. Um, yeah, I think that's probably my, story. I also had a concussion for three and a half years, so I actually couldn't make a film. Um, so that I probably would have come back maybe a little bit sooner and then I, I recovered. So I'm very, very excited to get to make this. Thank you and congratulations. Um, I feel like I'm representing Fran McDormand here by reading one more quote because she's not with us, uh, but she's here in spirit. And so I wanna read this very short quote from her and then invite anyone and everyone in the company to, to react to it and, and then we'll take questions from the audience. Um, McDormand saw the story in all its dimensions, quote, it's not about taking down the patriarchy, it's about illuminating a matriarchy that has been there since time immemorial. Go Fran. <laughs> I mean, I'm also kind of a fan of taking down the patriarchy, but, <laughs> but I also like, I like that lens on it as well. So opening it up to the group. I think that some of the, the beauty of the film is that you as an audience and, and us watching it now, it's we're we're your flies on the wall watching moments between women that you have never been privy to before. And I really loved the idea of of an audience uh, hearing and seeing our days, um, what we ate, how we talked to each other, how we sang all those quiet moments. Um, and I think that that's a really beautiful element of the movie that was really important to Sarah and she captured incredibly well. Kind of going off of that quote of what Fran said, it kind of reminds me of something I've always kind of thought of in the back of my head that women kind of have like this built-in strength and resilience and I like to call it like superpowers that are kind of within them and only come out within the realm of women. And I think this was almost um, an exposure to the strength and resili resiliency that women, I feel, just kind of naturally have as they take on the world because um, in, in many different instances, we have to work a little bit harder in the world to kind of be recognized for various things, to get ahead of something. So... 
um, that quote kind of reminded me of that as I think it's touching on the superpowers we have and, and this movie helps to bring them to life. And yeah. <laughs> Let's take some questions from the audience. Okay. Let's go right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for a very moving and effective and impactful film. There's a one line in it that I'm going to paraphrase and I, I'd love to get your reaction and your thoughts about the importance of it. And that is um, that forgiveness can sometimes be misconstrued as permission. I think we're facing a lot that now. And I'd love to hear what you all have to say about that, having experienced um, the pleasure, I would say, of working on this film. I'd love to talk about the origin of that line. Thank you for the question. Um, so. This film was an incredibly collaborative collective process from the beginning. And um, the that line came out of a very uh, collaborative conversation where people were sharing their own experiences. Um, it's not in the book. Um, the apology that Greta gives to Marike, which I think of as sort of a pivot point of like the necessity of that apology to move the group forward as one, is that that person needs to be given that in order to move with a group. Um, that's uh, that's part of the adaptation. And when I wrote it and the sort of subject of Marika's domestic abuse ended up having more of a spotlight on it, um, there, there was a conversation where people were sharing their own personal experiences with domestic abuse. And that was a line that came up spontaneously in a conversation um, of someone realizing that the, for, the forgiving their partner at the time over and over had been misconstrued. It was actually granting a permission. And I think forgiveness is a very, very nuanced, tricky, delicate thing that we have to wield carefully because I think when harm is still being done, um, I think forgiveness can be misconstrued as permission. And I think there has to also be an accountability and an end to harm before um, forgiveness is a, is, a, is a reasonable ask. Um, it may be something that someone needs to come to on their own, but it's not a reasonable expectation or even goal, I don't think, while harm is still being perpetrated. Thank you for the question. Does anyone else have anything? I do. So, yeah, and I, what I loved about the um, film was the fact there's a moment in it when Greta, it's you, isn't it, who says that it may be in order to leave, we can only forgive when we leave. And I think that often forgiveness is something that someone else is demanding of another person. It's very rare that the person who is going, I really want to forgive you. It's often that you you have to forgive me if that person's done something sort of terrible. Um, and I think that these women understand that the forgiveness they need, they can't give the forgiveness because the men are asking for it. They have to give the forgiveness for themselves so that they can move on with their lives and be whole and still have faith and, and come to terms with what's happened to them. And I just loved that concept of the fact that you can't, Forgiveness can't be given if it's asked for, basically, I don't think. And these women have to find the forgiveness just for their own souls, basically, to be able to move on. Yes, right here. Hi. The dresses you are wearing um, have been quite fashionable in the past few years. And um, I... Uh, and would be out of place if you wore them on the streets of New York. But in the film, in this context, I'm wondering how wearing them and saying what you are saying, how, how the costumes helped you to embody. Well, I, I just have to tell you a funny story about that because I loved the dresses. They are 
polyester. They are as strong as the women. I think that if there was, if the world ended, there'd be cockroaches and polyester Mennonite dresses. I swear <laughs> to God, that's all that would be left. But I went into, we had a Starbucks across the street from where we were shooting it. I walked in and I thought, you know, I thought, look, wow, the look and the thing. And the, the barista just looked at it and she went, wow, cool dress. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, we should start that fashion state. They were incredibly comfortable to wear for those months and hot. Yes, and hot. <laughs> and our costume designer is the amazing Keita Alfred. Yes. Hi, congratulations for giving voice to the complexities of those issues. I have a very specific question, which is about your choice of the Daydream Believer song, which changed a little bit of the mood when it was playing. So I was curious about your thinking. Thank you. Thank you. Did it work for you? Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> um, so in the book, it's California Dreaming is the song, and we were very attached to that for a long time. We played with other options as well. Um, and then one day I came into the edit suite and Christopher Donaldson, our editor, was like, don't hate me, and he pressed play. And I really liked it, but I wasn't sure. And then I went to our trainee, Sabrina, and our assistant, Craig, and I was like, what do you think? And they were like that. And so I sort of trusted a vibe that I didn't quite understand in myself, plus the group, that this was the way we were moving forward. And again, it has this unconscious effect on me that I'm, I can't quite pin down what the connection is or why, but it, it captured something for me. Um, it was not my idea, but I really love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we can, uh, we can go to the front row. Here. Oh, good day. Thank you for a wonderful film. Dwight Kansmer with the Times Weekly in Chicago. And I'm a big opera fan. And this ensemble way of presenting the story reminded me of my favorite opera, Dialogue of the Carmelites. And rather than spiritual things, this brought out some things that are in the current social discourse, violence against women and children, reproductive rights, uh, self-identity as, as a, a woman. And the way I felt about it was that it's not only a discussion or conversation amongst individuals, but many of us are going through these conversations and debates inside our own heads, these, these conflicts of whether to strike out against the things we see, the injustices, or accept them and just blend in. And I'm wondering how you feel that this film addresses these things and puts these things on the table and how you feel it will be uh, accepted in the social context of what's being discussed now. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not sure I can give like a complete answer to that question because I think I'd have to go away and think about it and write about it. But um, my gut instinct is that um, the thing that I am most excited about in the material, in the book and in the film is this model of what a truly democratic process could look like where we're able to inhabit, understand, and grapple with the perspectives of people who are on opposite sides of the spectrum as we are on any given issue and um, be able to converse and find a way to move forward productively. Um, this, these women know that the world that they live in is broken and harmful and that it has to change and in order to change it, they have to find a way to talk to each other and to hear each other even when they don't want to. And so for me, that is one of the, the great hopes of the film is that um, 
they are able to have this conversation, which um, none of them necessarily really want to have, um, but they must. Just right here in the second row. Hi, uh, congratulations on a wonderful film. I was deeply moved by it. Uh, so my question is, uh, the, I think the decision to not show the violence being done against the woman was more powerful and sensible than showing the actual acts. What was the thought process behind it? Thank you. Um, I think it's really hard to show sexual violence without it becoming fetishized in some way that you might not even intend. Um, I find it really traumatic to watch. I have a really hard time when I watch films when I see an explicit scene of sexual assault. And I also just didn't think it was necessary or what the film was about. The film's about the impact that it has and what they do with that and how they move forward. And so I didn't see any point in, in showing us the assaults themselves. I did see a point in showing us that moment right after an assault, which I think is one of the most important moments um, in any of these cases where um, the trauma makes it so that it's very hard to consign any detail to memory. There's this sort of obliteration, um, and it's what becomes problematic for so many women taking the stand and being asked to remember consistently small details. Um, and so that I was really interested in is what happens to memory right after trauma. So we do show those moments right after, but the act itself seemed far less important than that. Thank you. We can go here in the center. Uh, my name is Jim Miller. I write for Selma Gundy. Uh, I'm struck by your comments about the capacity to show a kind of democratic process in the film. But of course, it's a closed Mennonite community that's the setting. And um, could you talk a little bit about what um, having a story set in a closed religious community of shared faith opened up as possibilities for storytelling and the kind of conversation that you would be able to show? Because I think you mentioned at the outset you were drawn to the story in part because uh, of the exotic uh, religious setting. And uh, it's very striking to me that you're able to do with that what you do in the film. It's amazing. Thank you very much. Um, so Miriam Taves, the writer of the novel, it grew up in a Mennonite community. Um, I've had a lot of interactions with Mennonite communities over the years and um, uh, really developed this enormous respect for those communities through um, both those interactions, but also the photography of Larry Towell, who's a huge influence on the film. Um, it was very, very important to me, even though you know these events did take place in a Mennonite community in Bolivia in 2010, and that is real, the background of this story, not the conversation, but the background. Um, it was very, very important to me as someone who isn't Mennonite to show the best of those communities in terms of um, the sense of the collective, the sense of community. And I wanted to meet those women on their own terms when it came to the faith. So whatever my religious or non-religious beliefs were, that I that I greet their beliefs and their faith with respect and honor and honor that. Um, that became like a real guiding principle for me, um, both because I mean it and also because I'm not Mennonite. And I think have to be very conscious of how we're representing an already misunderstood community. We don't say the word Mennonite in the film, but they are. Um, they are, and uh, it was just incredibly important for us to be incredibly respectful, um, especially because we're telling such a difficult, horrible story of something that happened. Thank you. Hey, yes, right here in the front row, just a moment. Hi, thank you. Um, congratulations on the film, it's very moving. Um, you mentioned about the collaborative process and since we have all the 
wonderful actors here. Can you talk about a bit more about the collaboration and also the adaptation process because it's coming from original source material and how you worked with the actors on that if they had read the book beforehand and so forth? Yeah, sure. I'll just start by saying that Didi and Fran and I had endless conversations throughout the script writing process, and all of us are in that script um, in many different ways. And there are little moments from all of our lives in there. And so those conversations went on for maybe two years or something. Um, and then the process then began with the actors and a lot of meetings and conversations. There was rehearsal, but maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys to talk about it. <laughs> like it's not, wasn't collaborative at all. <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. It. <laughs> well, I had wanted to say when she was speaking about the res showing such respect, this is one of the greatest attributes of Sarah Pauly is her respect for everybody and that's what makes a collaboration so beautifully unfold and join and so on and uh, I think that's what we would all agree that um, the respect you felt coming from your director in every conceivable way um, which is also happens in the story what as someone said earlier that these women can hear each other they may not agree, they fight, they argue, but they still respect each other. And that was contagious, I think, from our director. Gold star. <laughs> uh, I think on the topic of Sarah's immense respect for everyone and everything, um, it was definitely a, a, a really good first acting experience for both me and Kate because we know that Sarah's had experience as a child actor and she knows what it's like being young and vulnerable on a set um, and how scary it can be sometimes and I think she she put great care into taking care of us and made a great effort to make us feel comfortable and happy and because of that, we had a really great time. <laughs> this is getting real. <laughs> Someone ask another question. <laughs> there was there was a moment um, when when we were shooting um, when I'm sitting at the edge of my bed with my teeth in my hand, and after we shot it the next day, I said to Sarah, "I should have made my bed." And um, on the last day of the shoot, Sarah came up to me, and everyone had gone home, and she said, "Do you want to make your bed?" And um, we, they rebuilt the set, and the crew were there, and uh, we came onto the set to reshoot the whole scene, and Sarah said, I'm just doing this because this was um, an idea that Sheila had. It's not my idea, and it's a great idea, so we're reshooting the scene. And there are, I can't think of another director in my life that would have ever, first of all, done that, and then also given the credit where, you know, and uh, it's to your point. The collaboration was unending. It was a really good idea, Sheila. <laughs> we can take maybe one or two more. Yes, we can go right here. So my question is for um, for Kate and some of the, the younger members of the cast. Um, there are a lot of uh, sequences and scenes where the young people are sitting and listening to the women talk uh, per the title. and. Um, uh, I just wondered how you approach playing those notes um, and how you approach um, that 
sort of performance where you're listening to things that maybe would be implicated in these young girls' futures or perhaps have already happened to them? I mean, I, I don't know about Liv, but I'm a very internalized person. I don't, um, I mean, I'm pretty quiet. I don't speak out a lot. So I think um, it was fairly easy to put a lot of myself into the character and just like listening to um, what everyone is saying around me and um, listening to um, the energy that everyone is giving off because I think with the performance that ev performances that everyone else gave, it was so easy to just kind of watch and react to what everyone was doing um, and just feed off of what they were giving. Um, and it really helped that Liv was a lot of fun to hang out with on set. So we would talk and just have fun and then be able to go and do some hard work and then go back and have some more fun so that we could take some pressure off. We're method actors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. I think it was really easy to listen. I didn't feel any need to jump in. It didn't feel like I was waiting for my line. It felt natural to just sit and listen and watch and learn. Let's go right there in the center and then over there. Hi, me again. I just wanted to follow up on... Um, the, in the film, um, there are three things that one is entitled to. And when that was first posed as a concept, my first thought in my mind was respect. And now your cast is saying to you, Sarah, Pauly, that the main thing that you give to people as a director is respect. And I would like to ask further how you as a director, a leader, in a collective, create a collective sentiment and a collective opportunity? Are there things that you can share with us that are you can translate from personal instinct or personal uh, uh, performance into method? Thank you very much. Um, I think I was really helped by having a very scarred childhood by being a child actor. <laughs> Gave me some tools. Um, and I think uh, for me, and, and I think this, this has to be genuine and it can't be like something you say to yourself. I think it has to be genuine. And I think it's something you have to be declarative about both within yourself and to others is that the experience of the people making the film is more important to you than what the film ends up being. And that's a really hard thing to maintain. There's a lot of pressures to preference um, what you're all creating over the experience of the people. But I have seen, very rarely, but I have seen filmmakers care deeply about the people they work with and still make good work. And so I sort of cling to that as a model. And, and I sort of just say to myself every morning, make it easy, get out of the way. And if you lose a day of shooting because someone's uncomfortable, that'll be just fine. Like you've got a lot of really amazing people to help you figure it out. But I think that has to be a bit of a mantra because it is an industry that's built on, you know, an emergency room mentality. There's always less money than you'd like. There's always more pressure than you'd like. Um, I don't think I'm always successful at it. Like, I mean, my, my operating principle is one of unconditional positive regard and creating that space for people. I got that term from Lindy Davies, who's an amazing performance consultant and creating that space where people do feel supported, but I fail at it too. Like, and I think everybody fails at it. And so I think you just take those moments and you pick up the pieces and you figure out how you would do that differently next time. So there were some learning experiences for me on this as well. Thank you. Um, we're right here. 
Yes, congratulations. I'm deeply moved by the film. Um, this may sound like a technical question, but I think coming, you know, I, I, I think it means more. There's a very intense quality in the listening and listening to them. I was thinking of how they listen and how August listens. And I realized I was questioning, wondering how you did those barn scenes when you had single shots, but at the same time, you have the person listening and you have the person talking. Did you use more than one camera to keep it alive? Yeah, we did. We did use more than one camera and that was a real learning curve for me. I've only ever used one camera and I'm used to being able to give complete single focus and you go away for 10 years and then you come back and no one uses one camera anymore. Um, and so, yeah, we would often have, we would be try to be as specific as possible of who we had the camera on listening and who was talking, but there were always surprises. There were all, in a room of that many great actors, you sometimes find that the scene is not a, what you thought it was about, or it's about that thing, but it's also about this other thing that has this other momentum and drive to it, or this other thread that you have to follow. And so kind of knowing where to put my attention could be really tricky at times also because felt like I felt like I was watching some of the best acting I'd ever seen in my life. And I, I was just like, how could my attention be divided at this moment? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was so interesting the way people listened. I mean, I think this group of actors is obviously an amazing group of um, speakers, but the listen, the quality of listening and the space they held for each other was to me the most captivating thing. And the way dynamics were shifting, like there's this one moment when um, someone is giving, I think Sheila is giving a speech and then suddenly she looks over and I just saw in the dailies, I suddenly saw she was looking off somewhere. I didn't know where she was looking. And so we went to Jesse and we realized there's this whole thing that was happening between Jesse and Sheila that wasn't as peaceful as what Sheila was saying. And there was this complication that came into that where, you know, Jesse was looking at her when she says, let's process it into fuel having had something completely unresolved with her mother. And so being able to find that and then trace that thread, it was so fun looking through the footage and getting to watch what was developing on the monitors. Cause I wasn't, I certainly wasn't in control of it all. <laughs> we did a lot of takes. We did, we did days and days of an 11 page scene. So it was really, I felt like we were um, creating a piece of theater as opposed to a film. And there was, there was a day, there were about two and a half or three days where we were shooting one scene where Claire has one of her biggest, most intense monologues. And we had to do it just to go around the room. I mean, we did Claire, I think, twice or three times. But by the end of the two and a half to three days, Claire had done that at full tilt 120 times, we calculated, and hadn't wavered. Like, the energy never wavered. I would keep looking over <laughs> and going, oh my God, she's still doing it. So the stamina was kind of incredible with this group. I really love the reaction that got, guys. Thanks, it makes it all worth it. <laughs> I'm afraid I got the signal that we're out of time, but I wanna thank each and every one of you for being here today, for sharing this film with us. And uh, before we leave, if you don't mind just standing, and we'll have a final photo moment before we, before we head out. So thank you very thank you. much.